Turn with me, if you will, this morning to Psalm 100. We've just heard it quoted, sang, uh, and now I will uh, attempt to expound on a couple of psalms that uh, David has written to us, uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring him in Psalm 100 and 103. He tells us in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 100, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Now I want you to hear the next four words. He said, be thankful to him. Didn't say be thankful for him. Didn't say be thankful about him. It said to be thankful to him. And to bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Listen this morning. Today and next week, we're going to look at this simple word, thankful. Sometimes we need to be reminded not just to be thankful, but what it means to be thankful. And it's been a long time. I don't even remember the last time I preached the Sunday after Thanksgiving. But Lord's willing, we'll be back next Sunday. Today, we want to look at a thankful heart. And the outpouring, the trueness of a thankful heart, will be seen next week in Thankful Lives. So, as we look today, I want, I want you to think about this. So often, our thankfulness is tied to gifts. Gifts of some form or some fashion. My mind goes back. You see, those gifts that, in, that mean the most to us are gifts that involve, number one, investment. Number two, sacrifice. Immediately, my mind, and I meant to bring it this morning and I forgot it, over on a shelf, just kind of tucked away. It's not hidden, but it's not in the center uh, piece or uh, in the most important position in the house. There is a basket, just a plain woven basket. It's kind of narrow on the bottom and it comes out. And the thing about the basket, it can hold all kinds of things. It could be sat on a kitchen table and hold fresh fruit, or it could hold plastic fruit and stay there from now on. It could hold junk where we come in and throw our keys and change and whatever else. We empty our pockets. It could be a basket to catch those kinds of things. If you ever want to see something funny, go to someone's house and say, I want to see your junk drawer. And if you're not from the South, you don't get that. They don't understand what a junk drawer is. That's the most important drawer in the house. It's where it's all at. It's where life happens. I mean, literally, you could repair a nuclear bomb out of an average junk drawer. But this basket is kind of obscure. It sits over in the corner. But as I think back, and this is the first thing that popped in my mind, uh, Throughout time, there's been special gifts that's been given to me, like pocket knives and other things that, that you know, took a, a reasonable investment. 
I think back to what Esau did for Becky and I for our 25th wedding anniversary and, and the sacrifice, the investment that was paid. We never had anything like it in life of our ministry and we still talk about it. Even a friend of mine wrote an article for the Georgia, uh, the Christian Index and the Georgia Baptist Convention on uh, how churches look when they take care of their pastors and use that as an example. But you see this little obscure basket. When I was in Ukraine, we taught in the Hungarian University and I was given a very expensive gift, but these were educators and even though they may not get paid like we would think a, a college professor would in America, they're still a little above most. And so it was very important and it was very expensive, but we preached in a gypsy village in a house church. And the house was maybe the size of this platform. And there was a, se a separating wall with a double opening that just had like a drape hanging there. And they had pulled that back and in this one room was the bedroom and in the front was the sitting room. And in the bedroom with those pulled back, all the children sat on the bed and sat in the floor and in the living room, there were chairs all the way around and older children would sit there and then some adults were lined around the windows and the doors outside. And if you don't know, Ukraine is not like uh, the lake region in Guatemala. It's not 70 degrees year round. Uh, it, it usually is very cold. This house church was in a gypsy village. And outside were chickens and ducks and goats and whatever else and just piles of trash and, and, and like a cesspool of just garbage. But over behind this, this little uh, pond area that had just been filled up with junk were reeds growing. It was a beautiful, beautiful setting. And the last day after we had pre I had preached in that, that room with all of these gypsies that even gypsies don't like gypsies. But these sold out, Bible-believing, Jesus-saved gypsies came as we were leaving. And as we began to depart, one gentleman ran up and tapped me on the shoulder and he handed me that basket. And I thought, this is, and I tried to pay him. I pulled out every grievance I had. And I said, I love this. Let me, he, he was, no, no, no. And the missionary said, no, don't do that. He really, really wants to show, they call the person who kind of leads worship, whether it is the person who owns the home, whatever they call him, the man of peace or the woman of peace. And he said he wants to show the man of peace respect and give this gift because of you coming all the way from America. And I said, this is so neat. And he said, you, those baskets sell for about 50 Americans. He said, but he would sell one basket and provide for his family for a month. And I've just busted out in tears. And I thought, oh, the sacrifice of him. I mean, he hand wove this basket. Now, see, it, it's no longer an obscure basket when you hear the story, right? It becomes a very valuable basket that much investment and much sacrifice was given to make it and then to present it. 
Today, I'm afraid we have forgotten the, the vast amount of sacrifice and investment of the one we sang about this morning. How in the world can we sing about the king who is above every other king, the Lord above every other Lord, the one who saved us, how great is he, and sing it with a melancholy spirit or just an unexpressive face? A name above every other name. We can sing, I live for you, but do we mean it? If we do, then it will come from a thankful heart. I want you to look with me, flip a page and look at Psalm 103. And I'll try not to do this because Jimmy did a lot better, but when I... When I read this and understand it ought to be like this, when you read the Psalms, you ought to want to burst into Psalm because that's what a Psalm is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, when you apply for a job or you go for an interview, it's not just how much are they going to pay you, but what are, what are the benefits? You know, I'm going to heaven. Mike, I'm going to heaven. Jesus saved me. I'm going to heaven. But you know what? My benefit package doesn't start at the retirement here. I have been blessed with benefits all through my life. Look at my children, benefits. I look at my wife, benefits. Look at my house, benefits. It's the little things. We fuss and fight and carry on about what are we going to eat? Nothing to eat. Where are we going to eat? But we got something. And the shame is the more we got, the more we'll argue about it. People who have nothing don't argue about it. They're glad to have it. You see, he said, forget not all his benefits. What are they? who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now think about it. As you've read throughout Scripture, there's a long history of seeing God's loving intervention and carefully rescuing His wandering people from many a hardship. From an ark to an exodus, through the wilderness with manna to a promised land of milk and honey, over and over and over again. And even through the law and the prophets, the Lord was rescuing his people. But it wasn't until he sent his son that we would be given the ultimate expression of his love. Listen, as a child of God, it ought to be our natural response. Listen to me. It ought to be our natural response. You remember when your kids were little and you'd have to tell them, somebody would give them something for Christmas or for their birthday and they were just worried about what was in the box. They're ripping it off. They haven't looked at the card. You look at every video of every parent who has ever been 
filmed with their child's birthday or Christmas and the parent, the child is ripping through as fast as they can go and the mother usually is always like, now who, did they, who gave you that? Well, where's the card? We've got to find out so we can say thank you. Am I right? Because our natural proclivity in the flesh is not to pause and think about the goodness of the person rather than just the gift. My friends, a child of God, it should be our natural response to live out our faith in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Enter his courts. Enter in to where he is and be thankful to him. And do it with thanksgiving and thanksgiving's twin praise. You see, thanksgiving is that which in appreciation penetrates. It's our inner reflection of what God and who God is. It's an inner reflection. Think about it. Thanksgiving is a mindset that fills the heart and mind and seeks deep into our soul. When we think about who God is, this is our Thanksgiving sometimes is in not saying a word. It's in meditating on the bigness and goodness of God. We get so busy with the sales and travel and all the other things that I'm as guilty as anyone that we don't pause and say, Lord, in our spirit, thank you. To go to bed with great thanksgiving. That we have a place to lay down our head. A place that our comfort is based on what buttons we push. We ought to be thankful deep into our inner psyche and seek down into our soul. And then next week, praise. You see, thanksgiving is that which penetrates. It's our inner reflection, but praise emanates. It's an outward expression of the reality of God in our lives, both for who he is and for what he does. You see, when we enter his courts, or his gates with thanksgiving, then we will enter his courts with praise. We go in before God with thanksgiving and we go out before the world with God giving him praise. We should never praise Eastside as the finality of blessing. We're blessed at Eastside by God. But it's not Eastside. Churches have risen and churches have fallen. Kingdoms have been built and kingdoms have fallen. But our God remains the same. We ought to be thankful for who our God is. Listen, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 2, may this never be said about us. Young people, listen to me. He said, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. And I don't know about you, but immediately in my mind it goes to scenes on TV. Tearing down monuments and burning buildings and throwing stuff at buildings and looting. But I'm going to tell you, 
That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to Timothy and he's expressly talking about in the last days, perilous times will come. He's not just talking about the outside crowd. He's talking about the inside crowd. And I know I keep hammering on it, but we've got another election coming up and one who proclaims to be a reverend cannot be any further from the truth who tries to adulterate the word of God to support the murdering of babies. Church, we must be vocal about that stuff. Stop running and hiding. Stop sticking our head in the sound because I'm telling you, those are the ones who are boasters and bla that's blasphemy. It is all out blasphemy. When we begin to teach that the word of God has adjusted to our current culture of LGBT and every other kind of things the world has thrown at us. My friends, I don't hate them. I don't hate any of them. But my word, my God says, my word doesn't change. I loved them then, I love them now, but there must be repentance. The words of Jesus echo into my heart. Go and sin no more. Church, we give thanks for who God is. Who is God? Well, the Bible tells us, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his, what kind of name? Holy name. The Bible tells us about that we'll be known by our actions, and you say, well, what about them, them Brady boys? Oh, that's pretty rough. Or, you know, what about them Toodle boys, you know? And we're known, we're known by our parents, we're known by our, who we are, our children. Those names are associated. I mean, I can, I can throw you out names right now. Hatfield, McCoy, Oswald, Sirhan, Benedict, Judas. You see, it's, there's a lot in a name, isn't there? The Bible says that his name is holy. Who he is, is holy. Luke 10, 27 said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because he is holy. The very essence of God is purity. There is no blemish. You can go to him at midnight. You can go to him at four o'clock in the morning. You can go to him in the hotel room, the hospital room. You can go to him on the road. You can go to him in the air. You can go to him across the sea. No matter where you go, no matter when you go, God is holy. Never. Now, if you'll just take and chew on this for just a minute. Y'all believe that Jesus was God in the flesh? 100% man, 100% God. Conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Not the literal act as one cult, very large cult, teaches in America. Then we must believe that Jesus never conceived an evil thought. He was tempted. And can I tell you something? Temptation is not sin. Temptation means that you are a challenge to Satan. 
He wouldn't bother you if you were no challenge. But if you're constantly being challenged by Satan to do this or do that, you've lost focus, then you may need to come back and realize the only thing holy is God. You thought, well, I matched up. I, you know, I'm coming to church regularly. I'm tied up. I even gave above my tithe. It doesn't make you holy. It never will. Now, he said, be ye holy even as I am holy. You know how you become holy? Paul said, die daily. That we are swallowed up in him. It's the only way. He is holy. I mean, the very essence of God is purity, love, power, authority. He is holy. And he reigns from a position of incorruption. Think about the ones who claim to be holy that were not. And think about their demise. Lucifer. King Saul. Nebuchadnezzar. Rich young ruler. Pilate. Herod. The church at Corinth. Think of those. Do you know the seven churches in Revelation doesn't exist? 2,000 years ago, Jesus personally came and pronounced a prophecy to each one. And 2,000 years later, they don't even exist. They're not there. We act like this just goes on and on in perpetuity. But without God in the presence, Ichabod is written over the door. God has departed. That's what's happened. The word evangelical doesn't mean anything anymore. It used to mean that we were Christians and believed in pronouncing who Christ is to a lost and dying world. That's what evangelical means. Those who pronounce good news. But now, we have stopped realizing the holiness of God and we have become carnal in our worship, carnal in our lives. But look, we're thankful for who God is, that He's holy, but also that He shows mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. I know I talk a lot about my parents, but you know, daddy, daddy would take care of business. But every once in a while I thought, I'm gonna show get it on this one. Can I tell you that one of the times that I really thought my life was over? I mean, I went, I went to my room, started writing my last will and testament. I didn't have anything to give anybody, but I just wanted to know, you know, that before I exited, I wanted to write something down. And you know, when dad came in, I'm talking about, I was a teenager, like almost 20. I was rebelling against God. And because of it, I rebelled against my earthly father, my parents, my family, my life, everything. It's a life of rebellion. Some of you are living it today and you're sitting right here day in, day out, living in rebellion and you think coming to church, you're fooling God, you're fooling your spouse, you're fooling your parents, you're fooling it. Listen, you may be fooling all that, but you are not fooling God. My dad finally came in. He didn't make me go get a belt. He didn't bring a belt. He come and he sat down beside the bed and he did something I'd never seen him do. My dad sat down beside me and cried. Because I had broken his heart. My dad showed me and told me a lot in that experience. 
And I saw the brokenness, and out of that brokenness, I saw mercy. And I saw God working through my father, and I began to listen to my father, and in listening to my father, I began to listen to my heavenly father. And it wasn't long. I still rebelled, and one, one day, when I couldn't run any further, I said, God, your way cannot be worse than mine. So whatever you can do with it, have at it. My friends, I am thankful for mercy. He said in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. You can't even get a Christian to leave a 10% tip on Sunday when they go making other people work when you say they ought to be in church, but we'll go out to eat and I'm guilty of doing the same thing. But if you're going to do it, at least let them know that you care about them. Don't shortchange them. Throw a fit and act like we're the most ungodly people. I've seen it. I've sat there and looked across the restaurant and they're in their Sunday clothes. And you, you ask servers, they say, Christians are the worst people to try to serve and to deal with. There's no mercy. We're not gracious. God said we, he's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad? Because I'm going to tell you what. Philip said, how many sings in the choir? And then he drew a picture. He said, all of us are going to be in that choir. And you can say, I ain't singing that kind of music. I'm going to, you ain't got a choice in heaven. You can deal with it. Because you're going to be in that choir. But here he's talking as a group. He said, he has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. I said this not longer after I came. Be the pastor at Eastside. If you had known and did know today some of the things I've done in my life, you would have never voted for me to be your pastor and you'd probably call a vote and vote me out. But if I'd known some of the things that y'all have done, I'd have never came. Because here there is none righteous. When you start looking down your nose at other people, y'all seen the commercial where the guy gives a class to people who act like their parents? That is the funniest because it's so true. And I like where the two guys are standing there and the guy walks by with the blue hair. He said, don't say it, don't say it. That guy's weird, you know. Just couldn't help it. Well, I'm gonna tell you, blue-haired folks need Jesus. Both the kind who die young to be rebellious and those who die old to try to get it to look good when it's turned white. Both blue hairs. Y'all catch up with that a little bit. A lot of nervous laughter right there. Come on, laugh. Listen, we're all guilty of death, sin, hell. We deserve it. Everyone in this room, everyone on earth deserves hell. Everyone, we're born into sin. We look and say, oh, that's the most precious, wonderful. My child's the smartest person ever been born, the prettiest baby. Oh, it's the greatest. Born in sin. Born in sin. You see, he says, this is good now. Verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Stop dwelling on that which is under the blood. Amen. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Get with a program. God already knows it all. And he stands ready to forgive you today. Cast it before him. Be thankful for that. And then we ought to be thankful for his grace. He gives grace. For he said in verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. His grace gives us what we do not deserve. It's like already having your piece of pie and getting that last one because somebody else was willing to give it up so you could have another because they just enjoy watching you eat it. Only mamas get that. You see, grace, grace it gives us what we don't deserve. By his mercy, I don't get hell. By his mercy and grace, I don't get hell. By, you see, mercy, I don't go to hell. Grace, I go to heaven. Not some in-between, not some purgatory. And because of his mercy and grace, I belong. I belong. We must understand His mercy and grace. But second of all, not only are we thankful for who God is, but we give thanks for what God has done. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. My mom and dad found a life insurance policy they bought from me for when I, when I was born. It was, I don't know what they paid, 200 and something dollars. And at death, it'd be worth $1,000. $1,000. I can cash it in now and get like $600. And that's what I'm going to do because I can't spend it when I'm dead. It was for me, so... The thing is, we give thanks for what he has done. That, that benefit, it's a benefit, it's there for one day needing it. You see, we give thanks personally because of forgiveness to the repentant. Forgiving those who are repentant. He said, who forgives all your iniquities. Now he just didn't, doesn't ma wave his magic wand and said, everybody's forgiven because they stand out and somebody crosses something out or throws some kind of tap water or throws some salt over their shoulder or waves some incense. No, people are forgiven when they fall before a holy God and cry, Father, forgive me for I'm a sinner. You cannot be good enough you can't be great enough. You can't be pretty enough. You can't be smart enough. But that's what makes it grace. Because he still loves us. If forgiving the repentant, those who fear him, those who obey him. Second of all, we give thanks because he restores the infirm. Listen, he said in verse 3, he heals all your diseases. 
So I still got it and I prayed God would remove it. Well, Paul did that too, didn't he? Does Paul still have his thorn in the flesh? How'd Paul die? Did he die from the thorn in the flesh? Not that we know of. We know that he died at the hands of murderers. He was killed for the cause of Christ. But in that, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, everything that Paul had ever said, everything that Paul wrote and prophesied and preached came to fruition and he was restored. All of his infirmities gone away. Old age, the dimness of sight, the aching of the thorn in the flesh, the buffeting constantly had been healed one way or another. It'll pass. Now, sometimes it passes like a kidney stone, but it's going to pass. We've got to trust the process. He elevates the fallen. I love this, verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction. Paul said, I have been redeemed. I've been brought up, he said in Psalm 40, out of a horrible pit and out of a miry clay. He has set my foot upon a rock and established my going. Pit literally means destruction. Over and over we see uh, Joseph thrown in a pit. We see David speaking spiritually of being in a pit. We see Isaiah. We see Jeremiah. We see over and over people thrown into a pit. Yet the Lord delivered them all. You know what? Ephesians says we've been made to sit today with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He crowns his beloved. Think about this. We sing crown him with many crowns. But he said in verse 4 that he crowns us one day. One day. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. One day we shall rule and reign with him on this earth. And then he satisfies the faithful. Just like that strength he talks about in Isaiah 40. That eagle, when he receives his new plumage, we shall rise up. He will establish our goings. We will fly as that majestic eagle as it catches the wind. You know, some birds flutter like a hummingbird just to stay steady. And some flap their wings to kind of rise. But an eagle does much different than most every other bird. They're able to soar to where they literally, their, their wings and their feathers are made in such a way that they can catch the updrafts and they can catch uh, some of the, the, uh, the heat, the air that rises, and they begin to not only hold steady, but to rise without any wind. But just in their momentum, they were able to go to greater heights. I'm going to tell you, without any effort of ourselves, the Lord satisfies and rejuvenates and rises us above the noise and confusion of the world. But then we give thanks for God's working. We give thanks for his working. He said, he, in verse 9, look at verse 9 of Psalm 103. He will not always strive with me. He will not always strive with us. Nor will he keep his anger forever. 
R.G. Lee preached a message that was preached thousands of times all over the globe. I have an actual vinyl LP record of it in my office called Payday Someday. Jack Howells, an old independent preacher from Hammond, Indiana, used to preach a message called Sunday's Coming. Either way and however you want to put it, my friends, judgment is on its way. And it will not be stopped when God sends it. There is nothing you can do to buy your way out. There's no way you can dodge it out. You have been able to buffalo and crawdad your way through life. You've been able to exclaim and explain away all of the stuff. You've gotten the best attorneys and your mother has come in and saved you when you've got in trouble. I'm telling you, come judgment day, won't nothing stop except the blood of Jesus. As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Somewhere between birth and death, there's a great opportunity for us to turn from sin and trust Christ to forgive and restore. You see, he loves us enough to warn us. Problem is, we won't read it. I've got a 2005, y'all know it, red Chevrolet. It's the only truck y'all have ever known me to drive. It's the only truck most people's ever known me to drive. Bought it a year old in, in 2007. It wasn't a 19, it was 2007. I bought that truck. And it's not had any major problems. I, you know, it's been great. Headliner's starting to fall. And, you know, it's had to have different things done on it. And so every once in a while you have to put brakes on it and you have to get tires all the time and all these kinds of stuff. But one thing about it, that hasn't changed. It's when I drove it here the first time almost nine years ago and ever since. There's this light that glows on my dash. They call it a warning light. I don't know what it's warning me from. It's the engine warning light. I thought it was just decorative. I thought, well, isn't that cute? In all honesty, me and Dean's run the computers on it. We've tried everything. And he said, listen, without spending a lot of money until it does something, just drive it. And I said, at this point, I, you know, after so many years, you get rid of comprehensive and all that. You just get liability and roll with it. And right now, that's all I'm doing. Drive her till she blows. It's been good. And I pray it lasts for a long time. You think mine's bad. Look at Bruce's Goldie. 400,000 miles, but it's still going. It doesn't matter about all those other things. It's still going. Here's the deal. That light is supposed to warn me about something. Well, I've changed the, the, the gas tank lid, and I've changed the other stuff because of all the EPA and stuff. But you can look, and I like, you know, when we were growing up in the old days, they were called dummy gauges. They were just a light, but I like gauges that tell you how many voltage and how much oil pressure, because it will warn you, say, oh, it's getting too hot. You need to stop or it'll blow up. It, the oil doesn't have any pressure. You need to stop. You need to do something or it's going to blow up. Things that warn you. Kind of like a donkey. 
It keeps running you. You, can't, you keep saying, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. It seems like as soon as I try to get ahead and I work harder, it seems like I, things keep breaking and it costs me more. And God saying, look at the light. I'm trying to warn you. I was talking with someone outside this morning. It's a guy I went to Bible college with 30-something years ago. Worked in a hospital. And I may have mentioned this to you. I'm old. I repeat myself. Uh, he was trying to get ahead, and he worked seven weeks in a row. Wasn't, didn't go to church. Going to Bible college, go at night, work all day. But financially trying to make ends meet and all this stuff. Seven weeks in a row he works, and after seven weeks he gets sick, and seven days he misses work. One time I was trying to get ahead, and Becky and I had just gotten married, no kids, and I was working, working, working. I worked all day, and then I would pick up a side job and work till 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, doing things to try to get ahead. And about the time I got paid off this job, I thought, we're going to be able to do this, we're going to be able to do that. I'd loan my truck to a friend, and he called me and said, hey, I'm on side road, I think motor in your truck blew up. It cost within $300 of all the money I'd earned over the last month. And I, I wanted to be so mad about that. God said, spend all your time focusing on getting ahead in this world. I'll just take it back. You see, he warns us. We need to listen. But then he's long-suffering. He said in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, once again, Paul speaking to his son in the faith. He said in chapter 1, verse 16, For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He said, hey, look at me. I killed Christians and Jesus still loved me. His long suffering, then his working. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Convincing, convicting, confounding us. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the world. I'm telling you, do not panic. The American government will not trump the Holy Spirit. Will not stop the church. What are we going to do if they tell us we can't meet? I'm going to tell you something. I still believe God's word. Do y'all believe in God's word? Let me try it again. Thank you. But it needs to be. Do you literally believe in the word of God? Then God's word said that this place, the church is built on the rock of Christ Jesus and the gates, listen to me, look it up, Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need to be thankful for God's working today. We don't know what God's plan is, but God may have, and God has allowed it now, make no mistake about it. God allowed it. It didn't surprise God. God didn't order a recount. God doesn't need something to change. Oh, you caught me off guard now. Let me stop and think about it. 
Why? We've got to ask ourselves, why is God allowing it? What does God want to do? Listen, God deserves all the glory. We must enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name as they come to the instruments this morning. Listen, we ought to be thankful for who God is. We ought to be thankful for what God does. And we sure ought to be thankful that God's still working in our lives today. Listen, if you need a touch from God, you need, you, you're like, God, I, I just can't see it. I don't know. I'm, I'm worried. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I, I, I'm perplexed by everything. Why don't you come tell him? He already knows it. But why not communicate it with him? And if you know, you know, you know right now, don't fake it till you make it. You're not going to make it. Come and say, God, I've never truly trusted you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I want that mercy. I want that grace. Lord, I understand your long suffering. Lord, forgive me and save me before it's too late. Because there is a great day coming. Will you stand and trust him today? Will you come and be thankful before him? Stand and come. Come to Jesus today.